Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Richard Listens, and this is the Richard Listens Show. I'm grateful for all the wonderful contributions and guests we've been having lately. Thank you again to all my subscribers, for all of you who've been signing up for email lists, signing up on our Patreon.com page to support the show, Patreon.com slash Richard Listens, Instagram at Richard Listens. Please tweet at me. Instagram, Facebook, sign up, subscribe, and listen. Please take the time, send this to two friends that you think might like the show. So today's guest uh, will be covering a little bit about life, love, cancer, the C word, how to survive after losing a loved one. I'm getting a little choked up. It's been a rough month for that, but it's, it's very appropriate and hopefully can offer some tools in how she's maintained her strength, how she helps others, and the lessons of love and care and resilience that you learn from battle with illness and of all kinds. So without further ado, my guest tonight is Miss Lauren Kelly, Mrs. Lauren Kelly. <laughs> she is a podcaster and author. So we're going to, you know, take notes on each other later on and uh, help each other professionally. But for tonight, we're grateful that she would share her charity work and her personal journey with us. Without further ado, please welcome Miss Lauren Kelly. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And you mentioned EMDR. That's actually something that I'm going to be starting next Friday. So any tips you can give me on how to be the most open with that, I definitely would appreciate it. For yourself? Yes, for myself. Yes, for myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. yeah, with PTSD, So, which we will go into, I'm sure. Wow, and how, how brave of you to, to acknowledge that you're going through things oh, like that. But I was, you know, it's interesting for years of hearing, being in the licensing exam, hearing about EMDR, and I'm like, yeah. and everyone is always like, what? Even what clients <laughs> I introduced to, like, what is this acronym that you're repeating? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hear that they wave their finger in front of your eyes, and yeah. I was kind of like, that sounds like, Like hypnosis. Know, 
closest. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> the thought. Follow my finger. Uh, and I think a lot has to do with always the trainer and the group that you train with. Yeah. But the idea being, I think, behind a lot of pain that there's a lot of stories that we hold on to. Yes. And particularly for people who want to help others, we have to look at sometimes, well, how are we helping ourselves? Yes. And the things we say or the stories we tell ourselves often make it hard. Yeah, either harm you or help you. Right. We, we could be, in a, in a way, harming ourselves. And it's so hard and deep when it comes to trauma work because yeah. that early life experience or that really significant sudden life experience it was unavoidable and you know it's it's so painful that all we want to do is like find a way to control it yeah uh, yes the emdr trains taught a few little tips and tools that i like to do with my clients which involve i think in, and we do this when we work with children too about like creating a safe place for the work yeah so at the same point and and you haven't shared your story yet but for me i wouldn't want you know people ask as a as a clinician well do you tell your clients that you've gone through grief yeah or a similar life experience to theirs and there's yeah. all these like ethics and rules around keeping things close to yourself and not yeah taking care of it. on the other hand there's other beliefs that being really present and in the moment and yes. it can amplify a connection yeah so that's what i find works for me and yeah. my therapist that i see on a weekly basis she's very open about her life experiences and i think like brene brown the researcher and public speaker she talks about how the most powerful words in the english language when you're going through struggle is me too and i think that that is so appropriate for anybody going through trauma when somebody can sit beside you and say i know what you're going through and really mean it it opens up the door to so much healing to so much conversation that you could never have before so i i'm thankful that people like you are willing to talk about it because not everybody is willing to be so vulnerable so i'm hoping that with the emdr it can help me process the memories that are being stored that i can't let go of or that I can't process on my own so I mean again you don't really know my story yet you know, the idea being that like you get to tell your story you know I think the fact that you get to become really aware of that and certain tools about like when I'm telling my story if do I notice myself if I'm tense while telling my story yeah hands are sweaty or yeah, like, so maybe I want to just be present with that from rather than yeah. trying to feel like I have to get away from it yes so I can be both inspiring and motivating others and caring, and I can also be yeah. kind to the fact that, you know, my shoulders are really tense and, you know, maybe it's an anniversary. Or you may anything. shed a tear. <laughs> and yeah. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People will tell you I'm not afraid to cry in front of anybody now. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it happened here. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll do it together. Yeah. See, how it, see what it does for ratings. Yeah. But it is about being present and being present, which is, you know, a lot of the, I'm listening to Lewis Howe's podcast and they're talking about the mask of masculinity and, and not, yeah. and Brene Brown talks about being vulnerable. Yes. And so there's a whole, a whole lot of that going on and yeah. a whole, you know, a lot of permission asking. And, and I've had some pretty humbling conversations with like tech support at the university. That I speak, <laughs> like, you know, just like, you know, like they're, they're repeating things three times and I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, yeah, this like is I just, can't get there right now. This, yeah. <laughs> and, and you'd be surprised that there's people in different domains who have innate therapy skills too. Yeah. So yeah, without further ado, you know, we can share offline about some tips and techniques 
techniques that I use. There, there's one in particular which I really like, which a trainer used in my training at BMDR, which is called the container, which is like, you know, and it's very, you know, subjective to what your container would look like. And I mm. think the rules for the container are only that it's safe yes. and that you can both put things in and take things you out. You can control it. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so, you know, it's a pretty fun exercise to yeah. like allow yourself to have this, you know, metaphorical space that you can put what those feelings are, what the story is, and you can, anytime you can access it. Yeah. And you know it's there. Well, then I look forward to the work. <laughs> I am, I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's not a lot in my life that I feel like I can control. So I think having like that space, like you're saying, that I can say this is what I want in it, this is what I don't want in it. I think it's a really powerful thing. So I, I hope that's something I can get to for sure. Yeah. So let's start with that. So the feeling of not having control. Yeah. When did that? So it kind of shifted in 2013. I was a young mom. I got married when I was 18 years old. I met my husband, and within a few months, we knew that we were going to be together, and so did my family and his family. And too long after we got married, we started our family. And at that time, I, I threw myself wholeheartedly into motherhood, and I don't regret anything, but I do wish I had known that it was okay to make space for myself. Because I think I, over the years of having children, we have five all together. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a circus, but really joyful. So. Did you come from a big family? Um, I'm one of three. My husband's one of five. So we always knew we kind of wanted a big family. Four was kind of our limit. And number five was a big surprise. But she's been the best surprise. So I, I don't <laughs> mind it. But yeah, so I, I just kind of made myself small and kind of lost who I was for quite some time. And just as I was kind of starting the work in reevaluating myself and just rediscovering the things I'm passionate about, the things I love to do, the things that make me feel like me, we got hit with a really difficult and unexpected thing. My daughter, Hazel, who was two years old at the time, she was number three in line. At that time in 2013, we only had four children. She was diagnosed with stage three neuroblastoma, which is a type of childhood cancer that originates in your sympathetic nervous system. So like your adrenal glands that are responsible for your fight or flight symptoms. Mm. And so she, her tumor was found on her right adrenal gland and it was the size of like a Nerf football in a little two-year-old's body. And as most parents whose children have cancer can attest to, you kind of have to hit the ground running. You don't have time really to process what's happened because they have to treat aggressively and they have to treat quickly because childhood cancer is, well, they say it's rare. I've learned that it's not as rare as we all think, but it's also very aggressive and neuroblastoma, especially it's the number one tumor in young children and, and it's got a 50 to 60% cure rate, but that goes down the higher your staging is. So she was stage three. We caught it right before it spread, but most cases are stage four because it, it doesn't really show symptoms until it's 
spread throughout the body. Was she showing signs of pain? Or? Yeah, so she yeah. always was a talker. Like, even at two years old, she was speaking in full sentences and communicating with me in ways that I never experienced with my other children. So I was very thankful for that because she started saying she had owies in her belly. And I thought, okay, maybe she's got the flu or she's constipated, you know, like it could be anything. And then she got really lethargic and then she refused to eat, which was very unlike her because she was like a Buddha baby. She loved to eat. She was chunky. And I think that's why we didn't notice the tumor because she already had a belly to begin with. And so it was just filling the abdominal cavity, but it wasn't pushing anything out. It was just, you know, crunching all of the organs inside of her body. I kept calling the doctors and they said, well, you know, keep an eye on it. Does she have a fever? I don't know. You know, if, if it's the flu, like if she spikes a fever, call us back. But my mommy instincts were saying, no, there is something wrong with my child. She needs to be seen now. And so I was seen the next day with her. That was a Friday. We found the tumor that evening. And by Sunday, we had a full diagnosis. And by Monday, we were starting chemo. So I was very thankful I trusted my instincts as her mother. But again, it was a whirlwind and you have no time for second opinions. You have no time to decide whether or not you want to do chemo. If you want to try more natural therapies, you just want to save your child's life and you're trusting these strangers to do their job. And, and it was very, very overwhelming. And she, she was very sick for a while. But then as the tumor was shrinking through chemo, like her spirit was coming back and she just like lived life in the midst of cancer treatment with such enthusiasm. Every person at the hospital just fell in love with her because she couldn't, you couldn't ignore her. She wouldn't let you. You know, like she'd walk in and she just, she would engage with you and talk with you and make jokes and, and she owned her treatment. She would talk about when it's time for her blood pressure and temperature. And if they did it wrong, she would correct them. And like, she just had this funky will of steel and like this way about her that I think really served her in her treatment. So, you know, as horrific as the diagnosis was, I was beyond surprised how positive that she looked at it and how positively she kind of embraced the new normal. But it was hard, you know, having four, four kids at yeah, the time. Yeah, how did they, how did they <clears throat> process it or in different ways? <sighs> yeah, I mean, my oldest at the time was only six, you know, and the youngest was only four months old. I was still nursing him at the time, so he didn't really know anything. This just had to be his new normal, and so he just kind of adjusted. But the other two, you know, they missed us a lot. We didn't refer to it as cancer right away because we didn't want them to go to school and someone say, oh, my grandpa died from cancer, you know, and really scare them. So uh. we initially just called it what it was, was neuroblastoma. And it was a, you know, sickness that was making her feel so unwell and that we had to be in the hospital and give her medicine. But as they grew older and like understood it more, you know, the cancer word was a big part of it. And, you know, she was in 18 months of treatment. So it wasn't something we could just avoid. And she was losing her hair. And, and we were always of the opinion that we needed to be transparent with the kids to the point of like what they could understand. But we didn't want to tell them about the how life-threatening it was unless it was 
going to get there. And we were lucky enough that after, let's see, she had six rounds of intensive inpatient chemotherapy, which were like three to five days long of different types of medicines. She had an eight-hour tumor resection surgery. She had a stem cell transplant, which is like a bone marrow transplant, but you receive your own stem cells back. But that caused such complications that she ended up in a coma in the ICU for about four weeks. Mm. And thankfully, she pulled through, but she had to relearn how to walk, talk, swallow. Like It was a very long inpatient rehab while still continuing cancer treatment. She went to radiation in a wheelchair without knowing how to walk and talk because we had to keep treating her cancer. And then over the course of a few months, like she was coming back and all the drugs were filtering out through her liver and her kidneys that weren't working very well, but were finally working again. And she made a full recovery. And by the time she wrapped up her immunotherapy treatment, which was about five months long, she was cancer free for two and a half years. And she grew up and like just took every moment and embraced it and lived life. And she found the beauty in the world. And it was so incredible to watch. You could see how thankful she was just for life, you know, after almost losing it so many times. What was that like for you seeing her all that? You know, like most uh, cancer families, especially that have children, they'll create some sort of blog or some sort of Facebook page to keep people updated. And they usually call it something. And we called it Hope for Hazel. And we kind of hung on to this Bible verse that says, hope is the anchor of the soul. That's why I have this anchor tattoo. And we printed those out on shirts and, you know, bracelets. And I think that really, without even realizing the word we chose, it became like the anthem of our journey. Every step we took, there was still hope. And every challenge we faced, she made it easier to hope because she found the brighter side of things. And honestly, I was in awe because as a mom, I have so many things running through my mind that I I couldn't sit in that hope a lot because I was afraid for her life. But she did a remarkable job in bringing me out of that and seeing all the other kids too on the floor. There's nothing like seeing these kids getting chemo running down the halls playing hide and seek while attached to chemotherapy. Like there's just, <laughs> there's nothing like that that gives you perspective. <laughs> They're just in play at that moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, I mean, it was so cute. She would go hide behind a corner and she'd forget she's connected to a pole. And she's like, nobody can see me, you know, but her pole's like a dead giveaway. But she just, you know, she was that way. She could literally get sick. She'd throw up and then she'd be like, I feel better and go off and play Play-Doh in the playroom at the hospital. You know, she just, she had this way about her that I feel like we learned so much from her. And it was so hard you know, to watch her go through it and to feel like we can't do anything to take the pain away. And I wish we could have done more, but like she just had this way about her and I don't know where she got it from or if she was always meant to have it, but she had this way that she could push through the really tough stuff and still find the joy. And that's what I'm trying to do every single day since. So what do you tell other parents or families that are struggling to find the joy or <laughs> yeah, know, that's finding been... tough times, finding the pause button amidst, yeah. amidst trying to keep everyone alive. I honestly, and I don't always take my own advice because it's not easy, taking one moment at a time. And even if it's really, really difficult, 
there are still things that can bring a smile to your face or hope to your heart, especially if you look to your children. But that it's okay on the days where you don't feel hope, and that it's okay on the days where all you feel is the pain and the fear, that it's okay to feel those things, and it's okay to move through those things. What's not okay is staying stuck there. I, it's not always easy for me, like I was telling you. She was cancer-free for two and a half years. And then just two days before she started kindergarten in 2016, the cancer came back. Relapsed neuroblastoma currently has no known cure. So when that happened, there was very little hope that I could cling to because I thought, oh, we're going to lose her. Like, there, there is no other option. But again, she did this thing where she wasn't done fighting and she wanted to help other people. Like, we go to the hospital and she would make cards for the other kids in the unit. And then she put a sign on her door that said, Hazel says this, keep fighting kids, you know, because she knew <laughs> the value in that, which at, at that time she was five five and six years old, it was remarkable to me. And we started throughout her cancer journey, We I call it this, we became accidental advocates. Childhood. So powerful, yeah. right? <laughs> right? We, we didn't set out to be childhood cancer advocates. My whole life, though, I've always loved helping people. I just never knew how it was going to play out in my adulthood. And then we had kids when I was so young that I never really made that space and navigated that. And kind of what culminated in that is she put a sign in her window that said send pizza room 4112 and many people watching may remember it it went viral it was on reddit it was the number one story people from all over the world were calling and sending pizzas we got 250 pizzas sent to the hospital and she became did you known know, did you know that she had posted that well i knew yeah i was kind of helping her because at that time she was only three and uh, we did it with medical tape she was just trying to wave to people down in the vons parking lot next door and so we thought what, what would be a cute way to get people's attention maybe they'll send a pizza we never anticipated it being posted online and because of that we ended up getting 150,000 Facebook followers to pray for her to support our family and we felt it like there's nothing like having a community of people around you that are encouraging you and lifting you up and Hazel was so thankful for that and she loved telling her story that we kind of became these advocates in the midst of all of that and she wanted to help the other kids and so we started fundraising we started doing blood drives we started you know talking with other people about childhood cancer and going on interviews and you know we felt we felt like it was a privilege in a way because we could help so many people and have the conversation start in corners of the world that it's never begun. And I think having her and that spirit while she relapsed helped us pull through because we were actually, we were in the middle of planning our very first fundraising gala that benefits the St. Baldrick's Foundation, the leading private funder of childhood cancer research in the world. They're based out here in Monrovia. And we were doing a gala fundraiser, and it was only two weeks before our, our inaugural event that she relapsed. And she was starting a new drug that was just approved by the FDA through a clinical trial that was funded by St. Baldrick. So that gala became like 
the, the most important thing to us because we're going, it's because of their work that she's getting treatment for relapse neuroblastoma. We have to keep supporting them. And she was just so on fire about it. And because of, of those kinds of new treatments, she was able to beat it for a second time. And again, it, it just kind of infused hope for us. And that even in those really dark days, like we could still find that joy and find the, the giggles. She was really good at laugh, laughing about everything. And you were like discovering more and more as this challenging as it gets, like that's the worst fear, right? Yes. That it's going to come back. Yes. Yes. More connection, more inspiration, yes. more yes. motivation. Exactly. Yeah, and I ended up in the midst of all of that. I traveled uh, three different times now to Washington, D.C. to speak with our representatives about childhood cancer funding and research and awareness. And we spearheaded the campaign to get the STAR Act passed, which was passed last year by Congress because of the efforts of hundreds of advocates that came with me. And it stands for Survivorship uh, Treatment access and research and the goal is to support all four of those things and to help children navigate through all of that and to provide the funding because that's what's lacking right all now. All for childhood cancer. All for childhood cancer and it was passed and it's it's one of those things where again it's kind of weaved this really beautiful accidental advocacy together where we've connected with people from all around the world and have been able to help people and talk with people and be vulnerable and say hey you know what like crappy stuff happens in life and we know it it just kept hitting us and hitting us but there's still hope somehow and hazel was the best at showing that. But three months after she beat it for the second time, it came back again and we just couldn't get on top of it. Sorry, I knew this might happen. <laughs> and we tried and, and tried. And even at the end, March of last year, we were ready to switch to a new treatment that we were hopeful about. Even her doctors, we, we were still fighting. We weren't quite at that point yet where we said, there's nothing more we can do. But we ended up going to the hospital because it sounded like she had a respiratory infection. And they took an X they said she had pneumonia and we said okay well let's treat the pneumonia and she seemed to be getting better but the pain wasn't going away so they did a CAT scan and they saw that it wasn't pneumonia and it was in fact the disease that had spread and consumed her entire lungs and there was nothing more to be done and that was a Wednesday in March and by Friday, which was Good Friday last year, she was gone. And we didn't really have time to process it again because we were still hopeful. And, and sometimes I feel betrayed by that hope. But I think seeing how she lived her life is what kind of keeps me going now in my grief from this last year. And that's where my PTSD has kind of come into play. We had five years of fighting cancer. Uh, our fifth child was born in the midst of all of that. My daughter was in and out of hospitals. Our family was torn apart. I saw her almost lose her life. I can't even tell you how many times. And then she did take her last breath in my arms. And there are days where my brain goes, this is too much to process. And I depersonalize and I live outside of my body and watch myself live my life like a movie. And because my brain, you can't, you can't reconcile these things. But on the days where I can sit and really think about it and think about her, think about the way that she lived life, those are the moments where I go, okay, there's joy somewhere, you know, there's hope somewhere, and I'm trying really, really hard to find it. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. 
Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. Wow. And, and right, there's a, there's an incompleteness, sudden yeah. loss or any sudden change. And, yeah. and even though it could have been a reality for, for five, five years. years. Yeah, it's like we were anticipating it, but it was still sudden. But sh- it sounds like, you know, her spirit created a very different thing where you were always right. Like you said, it's it's sympathetic activation. It's it's work where you're like, oh, yeah. how can I help and how can I fix and what can we do? But it created all this energy going outward into the world. Yes. About, and that can that can be exhausting, too. Right. Cause <laughs> oh, it's like, my gosh. Yes. I just need a minute in there with all of it. And. <laughs> Then I'm like in complete solitude and broken and then I have to like take a week and just recover. And then what I've learned is like that that's okay, you know, and, and I think watching her go through it and experiencing the things she did and being angry when she was and being happy when she was and feeling sick when she was feeling good when she was it was like she was embodying the very thing I'm striving for where she just was like living in that moment even if it was bad she lived it she felt it she moved on I have not figured that out yet my seven-year-old daughter figured it out like she had this old soul and I learn from her every day and I think so many people around the world saw that in her too and that's why so many people were impacted by her and her story and and I just I don't want to dishonor that by being quiet you know I want to keep sharing her story sharing the way she lived life even if I fail at it most of the time you know I started that podcast tell us yeah the (laughs) things that that she's moved you to do yeah you you started out saying like yeah I'm I'm 18 (laughs) years old and I'm married and yeah who am I yeah and now like look what are all the things that she's pushed you what is hope for hazel yeah yeah, so our page is, is Hope for Hazel. So if you want to follow along with our journey post losing her or if you want to learn more about my daughter, I would love it if you got to know her. Yeah, Hope for Hazel on Facebook. The people can still get, get to, to know, know her. her. And, yeah. and and I'm like laughing and, and I'm like following you. And I'm yeah. like, you know, why is she talking about pain? Why is he laughing? You know, yeah, but it's yeah. like, you know, the beautiful spirit and the yeah. soul. I can still remember her, you know, and get to know her for the it's, first time. And something as simple as, you know, send pizzas to room 4112. It's like, you know, know. you do a small small action that you can lift the burden of somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow she knew that at seven years old. I don't know how, but she's the thing. But that kind of led me. I, I started 
chronicling everything through our journey on our blog. We had a blog called Our Little Hazelnut, because that's what we called her. And people always were like very responsive and saying, you, you write so eloquently and you're very transparent and I really appreciate it. You share what it's really like, but you also encourage others and that's so unique. And I didn't really see it that way because that's just always how I've been. I've always been a very honest and like vulnerable kind of person. And I think that kind of served me well when I used to do musical theater and writing and all sorts of stuff. Like I just have things to say and I want to connect to people, but people were encouraging me to put it together in a book. So Mm. I've been writing a book called Send Pizza. And it talks about how pizza brought hope to the world. <laughs> and I always knew that pizza was a really good unifier, but I didn't know that it could usher hope to thousands and thousands of people. So um, I've been working on that. I'm trying to get it published right now. I have one publisher who's kind of interested, but they're not sure how to, how to market it. So if anybody knows anything, I'm more than happy to take advice. I'm in the midst of all of that, another cancer mom and I started talking about about how a lot of people don't talk about mental health struggles, especially in the midst of trauma and grief, and how you can still find the joy and the laughter in the midst of that. So we decided to start a podcast, and it's called For Grits and Giggles, like the play on words for shits and giggles. And it's talking about the grit of life and the giggles of life, and we end every episode on what was our grit for the week and what was our giggle for the week because both are important. And it's it's been an incredible blessing in my life, not only just doing it and having a creative outlet and feeling like I'm purposeful again, feeling like I have something worth saying. It's also been really cool to see the response. And we always said from the beginning, if we just help one person, it's worth it. Or if we just help ourselves deal with the trauma we've been through, then it's worth it. And it and it has. And I've grown so much and learned so much. And I, I hope to continue to help people. And I hope the podcast can do that. I hope Hazel's story can do that. And, you know, coming on interviews like this. Absolutely. I'm I mean, so you're just reminding me over the last... <laughs> month because you know we have this this process which i got to learn about called the shiva process yeah and and you're getting kind of educated in both what these things steps you can mm. take to to ease the suffering and, and it was a very beautiful beautiful it thing really so i learned about the amount of people that were coming by and visiting and and bringing food a lot of the eulogies around my father talked about stories about pastrami and yeah. love food. <laughs> so it was so funny how they were like not for a health advocacy purpose Purposes, yes. For <laughs> keeping his spirit alive, yes. it was like you know, fifteen pastrami corned beef trays <laughs> that it. came by that week, See, it's and like everybody pizza was too. talking it's about same. it. It was symbolic <laughs> for like, yeah. yeah, like you know, life and love. But yeah, but when you were sharing, I was thinking because I'm sitting there and and it's a very uncomfortable time but my nature is just to like introduce people together yes. so I kind of created my own like weird aspects of my life networking hmm. event yeah. <laughs> come meet cousin so-and-so you've never seen each other <laughs> there was there was a lot of that you yeah see, there was internally you know uh, in shock and yeah the challenges I was I was also kind of laughing yeah I know I'm, uh, I laughed at Hazel's memorial service which I still struggle with the guilt of that but I did because we talked about things that brought those emotions to the surface. It's and she made you happy. She did. And she made you laugh. She did. 
good. Yeah, we showed some videos of her that made us laugh too, and that that felt really good. But it's funny you mentioned the Shiva because one of our episodes we talk about how different cultures around the world grieve and mourn, and we talked about like Victorian England times and how they had outward expressions of grief, so people knew to deal with you delicately. You know, women would wear the veils, and it could allow them the safe space to cry if they wanted, and that people could say, "I know you're going through something." Now it's all so you know personal and quiet. There are like tribes around the country that have like celebrations after someone's died, and they encourage you. To to like flirt with each other and get together and like that's how you honor the person who's passed is by living life so and we we talked about like the Jewish tradition of Shiva a lot too and just how beautiful it is and how yeah. I don't know just how purposeful it is yeah every step had a purpose and I think the day or two after my son's going to play in, in a, a mini Olympic game called the mm -hmm. Maccabi Games coming up in two weeks in, in Atlanta and they had a like a get the team together and go to the Dodgers oh yeah and somebody must have come right up to me and been like no like grilling me if I was a season ticket holder <laughs> Not only did they almost put me in tears, but it was yeah. like, just, right, you, you want to wear this sign yeah. that says, please, like, give me space. Yeah, give me grace. It's like a veil, you yeah. know? Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, that there's a little bit of, like, I'm not quite ready yeah. and, yeah, really gentle. Yes. Yeah, men used to wear black bands around their arm to signify they were grieving. And I, I, I wish we still had something like that because, again, everything's so personal, so quiet. People don't talk about mental health so openly, so you kind of feel isolated. You feel like you're the only one. But I feel like more and more, if we continue to open those doors, people are like, oh, yeah, I get it, you know, and I'm not alone. And and we can honor each other's grief or trauma or depression, anxiety, you know, whatever it is that you're dealing with. We can honor that if the conversations are being had. And I think Hazel especially was very good at that. And so, um, and I think she and I like that together. We both love talking about our journeys together. And so I just want to keep that going, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's important. A lot of people ask me this week and about, you know, the variety of, of guests that I have and the, the rich life experience and even yeah. going into the uncomfortable <laughs> subject and, you know, some of the heavier subject matter that, like you said, people face, but we do we shy away from talking it? Do, mm -hmm. we, do we stay? And, and I certainly want it to be the mission, mission of this show not to avoid yeah. that which is real and this help people to feel alive and purposeful. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my point to listeners is, you know, that performance is not, not an act, it's not about um, being less of who you are. Sometimes about stepping into the full authenticity of who you are and that may mean you really illustrated that you you honor your grief you honor your need for face and then you at the same point that resilience kind of kicks in which yeah. says but I still want to let my voice Be come hurt. forward yeah. and yet by doing so I'm kind of opening up the wounds yeah. so it's this this yeah. has to be a kind of a, a cyclical process of I'm is, pushing yeah. myself to greater expansion and greater connection but at the same time yeah. uh, the healing process uh, continues yeah there's still days I can't get out of bed and 
and I used to feel very guilty about it. Now, through my therapy, and I do equine therapy, we were kind of talking about that before, I've just learned that you can be authentic even in that moment where you say, I can't get out of bed today. That's okay. I don't have to feel guilty about it. It's when it becomes a perpetual habit, you know, and then it's a problem, then sure. But like yesterday, I had a really tough, tough evening, so I just stayed in my bed and played a video game, and it felt amazing (laughs) because it gave me the ability to step outside of my grief and my trauma and like problem solve in a fun and exciting way and it was like okay now this is okay to do <laughs> yeah and then your brain does something fun or distracting and yeah. you're like you know friends will make fun of me but I'll like sneak a, a 1.30 in the afternoon you know matinee movie once in a while something yeah, it's gotta I be like the, the silliest one that gets like a 47 on <laughs> yes, Rotten Tomatoes yes. because <laughs> I love going to the movies by myself it's the best <laughs> you know it's the there's really nothing no one can find you nothing else can get in and it's just yes. about that pure like laughter yeah or like some reality shows would do that for me too but you know like the ultimate and people watching and you know garbage tv i feel like probably would engage my brain enough to like be distracted by something so silly <laughs> yes i it's a, my family healing ritual to watch survivor I don't oh know yeah that. yeah <laughs> I, I used to watch survivor yeah <laughs> but yeah i i feel like especially in equine therapy you have to be which is um working with horses you don't get to ride them but you do emotional exercises with them and so tell us about yeah so is yeah. it a trained therapist yeah um, so you work with the, the horses trained yeah you work with a therapist who's familiar with the horses at the facility and she kind of facilitates or he facilitates what the day is going to look like so sometimes she'll give me a challenge like hey I want you to work with this horse because this horse has this kind of personality and I want to see if you can bring this part of you out and get them to listen to you or get them to connect to you or get them to walk around that barrel or what does this kind of interaction represent in your life you know do you see this playing out in other relationships so a lot of times it mirrors exactly what's going on in my life and I'll be working with a horse and I'll be like trying to connect with it and you know a trust issue will come up and then I'll go oh my gosh that's exactly what I do in friendships or in my marriage or with my kids and it's just this really incredible thing but because they're such large animals you have to be completely present and completely authentic with where you're at because horses can feel your heartbeat from five feet away so there's no fooling them where you are and if they don't like your energy they will tell you they will tell you by like ignoring you or by you know kicking or whatever and if they like your energy they will show you by connecting with you so it's like you have to be able to be in each feeling and each energy level and it's been really good work for me because my instinct is to run you know from the pain because it's so much and my instinct is to like close myself off and say I just don't want to deal with this anymore I just want to say this is not the life that I ordered you know but it's forcing me to kind of go yeah okay this is this is reality and this is where I'm at and that's okay to be where I'm at because really crappy stuff happened and maybe I can survive it you know but some days it's hard to believe that you know I'm not perfect certainly if you listen to our podcast for grits and giggles like you'll hear how much we go oh my gosh like this week was so hard and I don't know how to get through this or I don't know if I'm going to survive you know but I'm still here so So you get to you inspire other people who are living through it by being incredibly honest that you're still amidst your own process yeah yeah and just saying I do not have it figured out but these are the things 
things that seemed to be working for me, but I could very well end up inpatient at the hospital with a panic attack next week. Like I'm still in the midst of all of that, but I, I do see healing happening. And so there is some sort of hope to hang on to, even though on some days I don't see it at all. I think that it's there and I'm just trying really, really hard to find it. <laughs> uh, well, that's the key. You know, you it's it in process. Yeah. I mean, it's new, just a year. And I the know. fact that you've done all these things for others, <laughs> right? These little reminders yeah. like, okay, you're still need tending to. It's kind of like the still the yes. 18-year-old you is still there going. Yes. Like yeah. you need to make space for yourself. And that's one of the biggest things I've worked on this last year is folding in things that are me, you know. Where do you find them? Where do you, you know, where do you tell people who go through? Yeah. I find for me, I'm, I'm a very like outgoing kind of connecting type of person. So a lot of times I find it in connecting with people. But on, on the flip side of that, when I have a break, I want complete solitude because the rest of my life is always with children, with husband, with friends, with advocacy. And it's all, I get very fired up by connecting with people, but then sometimes I've really got to take that step back and have complete solitude. So I'll go see a movie by myself. I'll go out to dinner by myself or read a book, um, sit in the hot tub. I started a writing class to workshop my book, which has been the best thing I ever did. And it brought that like creative side, that musical theater stuff that I've been missing for so long back into my life again and doing the podcast too it's like that creative outlet I find I'm a very creative geared person so I think when it has to do with with making something you know if I could sit in a kitchen and make dinner but not feel the pressure to have it on the table for five kids who won't like it then I think I would really enjoy cooking just throw flour on the floor <laughs> yes but I, I can't because it's like I've got all these different taste buds it's the end of the day like that's the worst time to have a meal like the biggest meal be at the worst part of the day because I'm drained and I'm tired and they all want something different and my husband's not home yet but I think I really could enjoy cooking because it's that same kind of process you know but yeah that's where I kind of find it and and also nature like nature's the biggest for me I think sitting on the beach and just being quiet or walking through the forest like I went to Alaska last month and I just felt so at home because it was green and weather and rivers and waterfalls and it just felt so good and I felt so close to Hazel. I'm glad you said that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did she like nature? Yeah. I yeah. She loved gardens, especially roses. But for some reason, I feel the most connected with her when I'm out in nature. But when it's like dry and hot like it is, it's not as filling for me. So I like to go away to experience green forests and <laughs> you know the river coming through the town. And yeah, it was really beautiful. But it's different for everybody. I know some people like probably a lot of what you work with are people who are engaged in sports or physical activity like they get their their joy and their adrenaline from physical activity I'm not one of those people <laughs> I try to go to the gym but I just I don't find joy in it I like to take care of myself we like eat healthy pizza was kind of a, a exception to the rule <laughs> but I think there's always room for pizza no matter what <laughs> but yeah I think it's different for everyone and I think it's worth it's worth it and you owe it to yourself especially if you're struggling to just try different things that speak to you because it can change your life like it really can yeah I'm glad you said that, especially for athletes, because athletes grieve too. Many of us in Los Angeles heard about the Tyler Skaggs situation and the beautiful tribute last Friday night yeah. of losing a, a player just 27 years old. And you could see it, and, and and you just you wonder like how they 
they're handling it. You can see how close they're getting. Yeah. And not in the way they probably would have ever chose, but in a way that's changed them forever. Yeah. So athletes, right. too, may need to get away from, maybe it's in a way the season may be the best thing for them right now because mm-hmm. it keeps them focused on a purpose. Yeah. But uh, there may be a time when, when finding a way from a place where you, you're required to perform may be less. For me, uh, you know, it's been uh, three weeks uh, since I uh, lost my father and I found myself on a beach mm-hmm. uh, yesterday in Oxnard that resembled like the East Coast beaches. It was cold and damp yeah. and it was just took the shoes off it and laying like the home. feet. Yeah, and, and, all, and it was a healing element to it and it was amazing because yeah. about the horse's senses from five feet away. My whole family knew because yeah. for the ones who were always pulling in different directions and demanding different things, everyone sat still. Wow, and you can just pick up the fans and feel it. Yeah, yeah. everyone yeah. sat there no one worried about getting dirty or how much was going to yeah. get on their socks and you. you know, so it's those moments which feel like the healing process is kind of alive and, and yeah. moving in a direction. But they're they're giving us a few minute flag down here and I want to give you a chance to please let everyone know about first of all to thank you for being <laughs> oh, here and sharing you. your, your deeper reservoir and Hazel's journey and her purpose and inspiration which she continues to give us right now and to share a little bit about what you have coming up yeah. and exciting news and things that you're going to be. Okay. Yeah, yeah well the first thing um, is that gala fundraiser I was talking to you about we host it every year coming up August 24th it's called the Ever After Ball and it benefits the St. Baldrick Foundation you can go to stbaldrick.org slash everafterball make a donation or buy tickets we'd love to have you um, it's dinner auctions entertainment drinking dancing like it's just a really fun event post a link for that yeah, for sure. yeah. and um, and we're always looking for sponsors or donations so we'd love it if you could join us and then secondly um, the other big project I've been working on is Janet the producer here um, she and I met I think it was last year when I came to babysit a friend's infant who was being interviewed on one of the segments from All Access Broadcasting she started talking about her journey and then she kind of shared a little bit about my story and Janet immediately was like can we have you on today and I said sure so they interviewed me and then Janet and I just really connected and she was like we got to have your own show it's like you're really good at this you have a lot to say so we've been slowly and you know carefully working on it and I can officially say I will be having my own segment here on All Access Broadcasting and it's going to start on August 6th but we're going to do a live uh, kickoff on July 18th and it's going to be called Hope with Lauren Kelly. Wow. <laughs> so we talk about hope a lot today and, and that's kind of the goal for my show is, is my, infusing hope. My, my uh, dad would have had 49 years married at that time so, mm, wow. so hopefully he'll be present on that Yeah, day. that's Inspiring. great. Yeah, so I'm excited. I get to be a fellow contributor <laughs> and, and I just feel thankful for the opportunity. This is the kind of stuff that brings fulfillment to me and also I feel like is the most honoring to my daughter's memory and so I'm just really thrilled and, and honored that I get to be a part of it. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you for educating us, educating me about childhood, the fact that children could be so resilient and fighting for the majority of their life yeah. it is sad but also really uh, amazing and inspiring that, oh. that she, all her gifts went to joy yeah. and healing and hearing up others. Yeah, uh, I feel like it was a privilege to be her mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now she's given long to you uh, yeah. advocacy on the hill and if there's anything we can do through the show to promote uh, yeah. your show and yeah. your charities you're working on. Yeah, we'll stay the, connected. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for doing this show. Again, I think there's not a lot of people out there that are so open and vulnerable with the stuff and the fact that you're you're here doing it is, is really great. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate it. Please, if you can, check out my Patreon 
Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens, or Instagram, Richard Listens. Uh, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website, richardlistens.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.